This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. So we all know that after the 2016 election, we were encouraged to get involved in any way that we could. And one of the most impactful ways that we could get involved was running for office. My guest, Cameron Severns, has done exactly that. But he has done so as a write-in candidate, taking on an incumbent Republican in LD25. And he has garnered enough votes to qualify for the November ballot. Cameron, congratulations. It's so exciting. How are you, man? Excellent. And and thank you for having me on. Uh, this is uh, incredible. I, I love the Indivisible podcast. And I have to say, congratulations. Uh, 24 years of, of marriage. Is that right? For you? Oh, my goodness. Wow. You've been following me on social media. Yes, we've had 24 incredible years of marriage. Best 24 years of my life. I, I will say that. So thank you very much. <laughs> but let's talk about you since we're here to discuss your campaign. So sure. Yeah. So you are a Washington native. You are an officer with your local Democratic Party. You're very involved in your community. But of course, it's a big leap to run for office. Um, and especially as you've done it as a write in. We can talk about you know specific issues in a moment and we will. But just generally speaking, why did you decide to run? Yeah. It, number one, I, I I care about the community. I, I care about my community, I, and and not to sound cliche, but I love this community. And uh, you know, I've been the guy who's been down and out, of, you know, evictions, job losses, and people people stepped up to help me. You know, from this community, and so I felt like you know there was an opportunity here um, to be a trusted servant to step up for what I feel like is an underrepresented part of our uh, local democracy, which is working people. Um, and, you know, I, I also looked at the issues and, you know, wh- where we are in our democracy right now is very scary. And I felt this compulsion, this fierce desire to make a difference. And, and, and you know, the old calling, if, if not you know, if not who, if not you, then who, right? Or if not now, then when really was sort of burning into my, into my brain. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I looked at the issues. I looked at our state legislature as well. And it's, you know, it's, it's upper middle class, mostly upper middle class folks, um, white folks, and it's retired people. Yeah. And there's very few working people, um, that, that are, are representing, you know, our representative of, of our community for, for everyday working people, they understand the government needs to work for them. Sure. You know, the people that represent us need to be at the consent of the government, but also need to be the servants of the government. Well, I like everything that you're saying, and I especially like what you're saying about how we need more working class people in office at the state level. Um, your Republican opponent was running unopposed and, and quite proudly so, is my understanding. And so, as I say, you mounted this writing campaign. You got enough votes to qualify for the general. So it's a very big question, but I'll just ask you broad strokes. How did you do it? How did you pull off a writing campaign? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a wild story. And I never thought I would do this. And so if you're a regular working person listening to this, you can do this. You can run for office. And if I can do it, you can do it. And so I want to encourage people that way. But uh, uh, my wife and I, we were watching filing week and we noticed no one had filed to run against the current incumbent. Uh, and, and you know, she's super far right. And in, in my opinion, this district is a very moderate uh, center left district. And, and folks want, um, you know, a, a center left progressive to represent them. Um, but we had a lot of discussion and my wife and I did. And, um, 
you know, the January 6th hearings were happening. The Dobbs decision had come out. Uh, and and I, I just felt like someone needed to step up. Um, and I feel like no one should run unopposed in this democracy. Um, so we had friends help us. We actually started knocking doors and we knocked over a thousand doors in a very short amount of time. Uh, and, you know, we had to keep this quiet because in Washington state, we have the top two primary, right? right. And so the fear was, okay, if they find out, you know, the GOP finds out they're going to try to lock us out by running a, you know, a dummy candidate who a bunch of people can just write in and then we would be locked out. The Democrats would be locked out altogether. This you know, sounds like a so, delicate balancing act you're talking about here. It, it is, and especially delicate at the door when, you know, people are so excited, a lot of folks, hey, there's a Democrat running, great. And then and then you have to tell them, okay, now keep it quiet. <laughs> <You can't, laughs> just tell, tell your friends, but don't post this on social media. Don't post this anywhere else. Uh, but but I have to say, as soon as the word got out and and people did keep it quiet, they, I mean, it spread quickly. And so, yeah, that's how we did it. We we kept it quiet. We 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 knocked doors, and and then it was really word of mouth. Well, congratulations! Um, it's very exciting that it worked, and uh, it'll be really cool to see you on the November ballot. So, you've talked about your faith a little bit here, and I want to mention for people that you were an evangelical Christian, and you were also a self-described center-left progressive, and of course a Democrat. This is not something that we hear about much, right? So. You know, when you're out talking to voters and this comes up, I wonder how are people responding on both sides? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's been one of the more positive responses that, that I've gotten. And I think there is a perception about especially white evangelicals right now that is really bad. Um, the Trump years and some other things, which we'll get into. But um, I think people have been very receptive, especially to the idea that you know, a person of faith that is also a Democrat who you know has the same values, wants to you know represent the district and care and actually cares about the community. So the response has been good. And and folks on the right, uh, I've I've had Republican friends write me in and are supporting me. Um, and we'll get into that a little more as far well, as yeah. Actually, I, I would love to stop right there and just ask you: Are you finding that your affiliation actually gives you the ability to talk to certain voters who might not otherwise consider a Democrat? A hundred percent. Yes, 100%. And and so this idea of talking to each other which has sort of been lost because we're 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 decamped, you know, we're we're in these 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 camps, you know, separate from each other um has you know has I think harmed our democracy. And so this is a, a I think a unique a unique position because I do have Republican friends, I do have of course lots of democratic friends. But yeah, I, the ability to converse with folks that you know, would be would consider themselves strong conservatives, principal conservatives who think, hey, this is a person who I can support as a Democrat who has some common sense ideas, um, you know, has has a belief that, you know, our community should be represented better. So, yeah, we've had uh, quite a few a great response from our Republican friends who say, yeah, you know, they know me, they trust me uh, and, and they know my views. You know, my, I've been a Democrat my whole life. You know, I've been a Democrat since my first election. But I think the the thing that's been encouraging is, yes, people from all different political affiliations have been very, very positive about our campaign.
So you mentioned the Dobbs ruling and you support reproductive rights and, and you know, as I you say, you, you've got involved, you got involved in part because you support reproductive rights. And you, you told me when we were preparing for this interview that you felt that the church has been co-opted on this issue. We've learned a lot recently about the GOP's history uh, of, of using abortion as a wedge issue. But I wonder, do you see attitudes starting to change on this in the church? I do. I do. And, and let me make this very clear. The evangelical Christian church has been co-opted. And, and, and we know this. Uh, and and my, my feeling is that from what I've heard from folks is that they, they feel that they've really been manipulated and lied to. A lot of folks have. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, on the abortion issue, on reproductive rights, uh, that they were told and people have told me is, if we vote Republican, then they'll overturn Roe and then abortion will be banned and the unborn will be safe. That's the logical processing, the political processing. And so now what we're learning and, and what I'm, I'm, talking to my my friends who are on the other side of this issue is no it does not stop abortion by banning abortion it just harms women and so and, and people that can have children and so there's a there's an awakening i think that's happening in the evangelical church and i'm maybe i'm naive i'm hopeful um but i believe that 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 people are starting to realize this is not something that is going to be helpful for you know for their opinion of protecting the unborn or 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 women, and so I, I've actually talked to uh, oh, a conservative Christian, you know, hard hardcore conservative Christian evangelical women who have told me privately that they do not want a, abortion banned. Wow. And and so what you know what I think uh, is that that wedge issue is no longer going to be uh, a benefit to the Republican Party. I, I think this is going to harm them across all political spectrums. Um, and you know, it's interesting because there is a, there is an attitude about abortion, which I respect, which, and, 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 you know, my opinion is, look, I, I don't like abortion. I don't think the median voter does, but it should still be safe and legal. And, and what I'm trying to bring forth is this idea, you know, not just to evangelicals, but to others on the right and, and, and to everyone is if we strengthen our social safety net, if we, if we, Give give uh, women and folks that can have children what they've been asking for as far as universal health care and other things, then that will encourage people to have children. So you're getting into some policy issues here that I very much want to unpack with you. Um, first and foremost, what would you like to see us do here in Washington to make sure that reproductive rights are protected? Yeah, I think the the big thing right now is uh, religious hospital organizations you know, particular Catholic hospital organizations that are buying and absorbing secular ones or community-based healthcare systems, we, we we need to head that off at the pass, in my opinion, because, you know, those organizations, specifically the Catholic ones, they, they don't even allow for any family planning at all. So no contraception, no birth control, anything like that. So I think at a legislative level, we need to say no, you know, either first right of refusal or whatever we can do constitutionally to say, you know, this is no longer going to be an option because it's a backdoor to taking away reproductive rights, which, it, you know, is it, it, it can't happen. And I think we see it coming. I think I think we can we can stop that. So that would be a big priority of mine. 
this is something that we've actually covered here on the show, and I will refer people to a previous episode of the podcast in the show notes if you'd like to check that out. A couple of other issues. Uh, first is public safety. Um, you have said that Democrats are the ones who are actually trying to solve this problem. I agree with you. Talk about how. Well, first of all, the Republican Party has been starving our institutions for 50 years. I mean, it's, it's, a, con- it's a concerted political strategy of theirs which is to starve the beast. I'm sure, you know, uh, you, you know about that. And and it's to defund institutions so that they look inept so that the, we can then privatize. Um, but Democrats are actually trying to fund the underlying causes of poverty, which poverty causes crime. And, and, and I think that's well settled. There might be some minor other factors there, but poverty causes crime. And Democrats are actually trying to fund mental health resources. They're trying to fund affordable housing. They're trying to fund health care for all, good union jobs, all of these things that actually decrease poverty, which in turn will decrease crime. And so the Republican Party has taken this stance of we'll, we'll just lock everybody up. That's the effective way, you know, to to be be safe. And frankly, the, the, it's not only false. But it's 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 of their own making, right? Their own concentrated political strategy is let's make government in every level, from police up all the way to the governor's office, look terrible, so that we can privatize these things. And so now we're unfortunately our community is going to suffer because of fifty years of Republican policy. And now is the time we need to own this conversation as Democrats and say, no, we are the ones trying to make communities safe. We are the ones trying to deal with the underlying issues of poverty, you know, and if we can bring that base level up, bring that safety net up to take care of folks, we will see crime plummet. I believe that for a fact. Yeah, you, you've you talked about how, you know, public safety, you know, as you say, is interconnected. Housing, jobs, all of these things uh, serve to uh, ultimately bolster public safety. So I will just ask you, uh, you know, your campaign is well underway now. If people are looking to get involved, I understand you have an upcoming canvassing event on the 17th? Yes, we have a canvassing event on the 17th. We'll have a link available as well. Uh, it's going to be at the South Hill Library in Puyallup. And uh, it, it, we're going to have snacks, which I like snacks. So who please. doesn't like snacks? Absolutely. Who doesn't yeah. like snacks? Exactly. Yeah. And and come and have some snacks. And and uh, uh, but we're going to have some guest speakers. I'm working on that. Uh, and then we're going to go out and canvas our community. I really believe in, in direct action and, and, and meeting folks at the doors. And so if you know, if you're excited about having a common sense Democrat running in LD25 and you want to get involved, please come to the South Hill Library. It's at 1230 p.m. Uh, and then we're going to go out for a couple hours in Canvas. That's on the 17th of September. Terrific. And where online can people go to learn more? Please go my, go to my website. So first, it's www.firstnamecameron, lastnameseverns.com. You can see my sign in the background. I was going to say the sign's right in the background, but I'll spell it for listeners. It's S-E-V-E-R-N-S. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so go there, and there'll be a link there that you can sign up. There's also a link there. If you want to support our campaign, you can donate. We're right now we're we're 100 grassroots supported labor supporting us um, and then of course I put my you know some of my own money in but if you want to support our campaign you can't canvas please consider supporting us because there's tremendous momentum behind this campaign there's a tremendous grassroots momentum and uh, we'd love to have you know love to have everyone on board supporting us. 
Well, I'm very excited yeah. about this. And when uh, a mutual friend of ours reached out to me to let me know about your campaign, uh, I thought to myself, this is precisely what we talk about in Indivisible, which is getting involved at the level that you're getting involved in. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. And uh, I'm very excited about you know everything that I see and hear. So uh, I'm wishing you the best. Uh, thanks for taking the time, Cameron. Yes, thank you for having me. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.